Well, happy Valentine's Day. Happy belated Valentine's Day. Happiest day of the year for some of us. Well, uh, hey, I'm super glad y'all made it out tonight. Um, apparently, y'all are the lucky ones because I was told, I've been in here since like way earlier, but I was told it like poured, like right as the time that many of you were, were walking. Did anyone get rained on today? A few of you? Okay, awesome. Well, I, I'm glad that it wasn't most of you, and uh, glad y'all are here. Uh, we're going to be talking about dating tonight, so uh, I hope that you came ready for that. hope you came ready to take some notes and see what Scripture has to say. Um, I want to set it up like this. So um, I have been married now for three years, and something that I do a lot more now that I did before I was married is go to the grocery store. Uh, I went to the grocery store before I was married, but I went like with my parents if I, you know, if I ever went to the grocery store. Uh, I lived with my parents until I got married. We got married relatively young. And um, now that I'm married, I find myself going to the grocery store a whole lot more than I used to. But here's the thing. There's kind of two types of grocery store trips for me. There's a good kind of grocery store trip, and then there's a not so good kind of grocery store trip. The, the good grocery store trip usually starts out with something like this. Hey, Logan, could you swing by the grocery store and grab some, th- like, um, milk, all right? It usually starts something like that. Or, you know, something like, hey, Logan, could you swing by the grocery store and grab some eggs? Or, hey, Logan, could you swing by the grocery store and grab some cheese? Like, something specific, right? But then there's the not-so-good kind of grocery store trip. And that kind of trip usually starts a lot more like this. Hey, Logan, could you swing by the grocery store and grab us something for dinner tonight? Or, hey, Logan, could you swing by the grocery store and pick us up something to eat for lunch this weekend? Or, you know, Logan, could you stop by the grocery store and pick us up something for breakfast? I don't know how you guys are wired, but you're you're picking up what I'm putting down, right? Like, when I'm on that kind of grocery store trip where uh, Aaliyah's like, hey, would you go and pick up something for dinner? It is not uncommon that I will spend like 45 minutes at the grocery store walking up and down the aisles, looking at all my options, really taking it in and trying to make the best decision with the information that I have, right? Like, when we, I think it was around Christmas time, I was going to get, uh, basically my assignment was go find some sort of meat that we can smoke. I think it was like for Christmas day. And so I headed to the grocery store and I kid you not, I was there for an hour walking back and forth down the meat aisle, which is not long, by the way. And I'm just like, you know, picking up different things, looking at the prices, looking at the weights, like legitimately If you want to stress me out or cause me to make a bad decision, send me into a situation where I have endless options and no idea what I'm looking for. I mean, that's, it it gets to me, right? And I really feel like whether, whether you're wired the same way as me when it comes to, you know, grocery store trips or anything like that, I think we're all kind of, we can all kind of relate to that when it comes to dating, Right? Because we're all in this place when it comes to dating where, like, there are, I mean, you've, you've heard it said, there's lots of fish in the sea. There are endless options. And if you approach dating with no sort of a plan, with no sort of an idea of what you're looking for, then what you're going to find is something, or, or what you could find, is something that 
may cause you a whole lot more pain than necessary. You may end up with something that you, or someone that you don't need to be with because uh, you're looking for the wrong thing. Or maybe you fall into the trap of, well, I'll just try everything because the options are so endless, right? If, if you get to the point where you have no plan, bad things can, can take place. But if you go in with a plan, if you go into dating with the approach of like, yeah, I know what I'm looking for, you'll be far more likely to find the right thing. And that's really the question that I want to ask tonight. What kind of person am I looking for? Tonight we're calling this thing marriage material. You're looking for somebody who is marriage material, and we'll talk a lot more about what that looks like. Uh, but some of you might hear me say that, right? Like we're answering or we're asking this question, what kind of person am I looking for? And you might respond and go, yeah. I know what kind of person I'm looking for, and he's not here. He's not in this room. He's not at this school. He may not be in the state. Like, he just doesn't exist. I've looked everywhere. Or maybe it's a she, you know? Maybe, maybe you know, I know exactly what I'm looking for, but she doesn't exist anywhere, or at least I hadn't found her yet. And, and maybe you have a good idea in your mind about what you're looking for, but you feel like you can't find that person. Well, I wonder if where we get messed up is that we might get a little too specific from the start. Like we might think way at the end down the road, like, all right, by the time that I'm married and I find a spouse, like I need this person to look like X, Y, Z, actually A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, like all the way through. Like you want, you got a very specific uh, thing in your mind of, of who you're looking for and that's who you look for from the moment that you're single, right? It might just be the reason that you're having a hard time finding that person. So I want to ask tonight, what if we focused on the essentials? Like, what if we didn't have this perfect picture of a future spouse in our mind and we looked for that from the beginning? What if we focused on the essentials? See, I think if you did that, if you focused on the essentials, what you'd find is that dating can be a whole lot more enjoyable and a whole lot more effective uh, than you have ever experienced before. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about how to find someone who is marriage material. We're going to look at the essentials. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to kind of walk through the timeline of dating, right? And so we're going to start, we're going to talk about, we're going to ask the question, what am I looking for when I'm single? And then we're going to go, what am I looking for on a first date? And then we're going to go, what am I looking for when I'm dating? And that should get you all the way to the point that you got to pop the question, right? So we're going to try to get you all the way down the road tonight. And we're going to do this by looking at a few different uh, passages of scripture. Normally, we'll kind of choose one passage and we'll sit there and we'll walk through that thing verse by verse. But tonight, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to look at multiple passages of scripture. We're going to look at kind of the Bible as a whole and go, what does it say about this topic? So I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5 is where we're going to start. And the first question that we're asking, like I said, is what am I looking for when I'm single? What am I looking for when I'm single? Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. I'm not going to read it uh, right this second. I'll, I'll set it up for you like this. I'll just go ahead and give you a spoiler alert, okay? Here's your spoiler alert. When you're single, the primary thing that you should be looking for in someone to date is a relationship with Jesus. You should be looking for someone who has a relationship with Jesus. 
This is the most basic principle when it comes to what you're looking for in a relationship. But so many Christians still get it wrong. So many Christians still get it wrong. Uh, you know, I've been asked the question, can Christians date non-Christians? Like, like is that wrong for me? Can I, I'm, I'm a believer. I follow Jesus. Can I date somebody who's not a Christian? And I really just think that's the wrong question. You know, if we reframe the question, like, let's, let's ask it like this. Can someone who is following wholeheartedly after Jesus date someone who is not? And to that, I would say no. Let's look at what Scripture has to say, though, because I don't want you to just take my word for it. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you might keep discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So here in Proverbs, we see, so this is Solomon, King Solomon writing, and he's writing, uh, you know, passages of, of wisdom. This is practical wisdom for life. And we come across this passage that is Solomon talking about the forbidden woman. Now, you can exchange that for either gender, the forbidden woman, the forbidden man. The key word that I want you guys to focus on is that word forbidden. Solomon's talking about how the forbidden woman, the forbidden man, the forbidden partner, there's a lot of danger there. So I looked up this word forbidden because I thought it was interesting. And literally what this word forbidden in verse 3 means in the original language is it means an outsider. It means a foreigner. Specifically, it means someone who is outside of the people of God, which I find so interesting. Because that's what we're doing when we're dating someone who, who does not follow Jesus, who's not a believer, is we're looking outside of the people of God. And according to Solomon, he says that is dangerous. You, you should not pursue that kind of person. Why? Well, the answer is in verse 6. It says in verse 6, she or he does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. In other words, why would you, as a follower of Jesus, pursue someone who is not a follower of Jesus? Or, or why, why wouldn't, why should you not? Because you're on two different paths, according to Scripture. You're on two completely different paths that lead to two completely different destinations. And so you're not going to set yourself up for a successful marriage by, from the start, setting yourself on two separate paths that are pointed in opposite directions. I mean, Solomon is clear here. Believers and believers, or believers and non-believers, have different ideas of where you came from and where you're going. I mean, this is, we see this not just here in Proverbs, but all throughout Scripture. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what part partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So you might hear that, and you might respond, yeah, but like, I'm a follower of Jesus. They go to church. I mean, they're, they're trying, and, and I'm kind of like, I'm trying to change that. Like, I'm, I'm trying to help them follow Jesus. I want them to look at me, and I want them to see, like, 
how I'm living it, and I hope to be able to change their heart. I hope to be able to, to, to change them into a follower of Jesus, even though, you know, they're, they're not. And here's what I would say to that. God does not need you to break his laws in order to bring someone into the kingdom. I mean, Scripture is crystal clear that God says his design is that you would choose someone who is already chasing after him. Why? Because it's dangerous to choose someone who's not. It says in uh, verses 3 and 4, it says, the, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, in the end, that's important, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So he starts out by saying in verse 3, like, there are some attractive things about the forbidden woman or the forbidden guy. Their lips drip honey, which back then, like, that is a very good thing. I mean, honey tastes good now, but to them, it was like, uh, I mean, it was super, super popular. There, he's basically saying, there's a lot that's going to attract you about this person, this forbidden woman, this forbidden man. And he says that her speech is smoother than oil. So he or she, they know how to talk to you and make you feel really important. They might know how to, how to talk to you and, and make you feel good about yourself, make you feel loved. But what does it say next? But in the end. So yeah, right now, man, in these four years in college, this might feel right. This might make a lot of sense. But in the end, that's when things get difficult. In the end, she's as bitter as wormwood. Now, what on earth is that? I thought that came from Harry Potter when I first read uh, that, that word. Uh, but I looked it up, and wormwood, uh, it's this strain of plant that uh, is actually known for being incredibly bitter. And that's all great. But it's used in the Bible a lot as a metaphor. Here we see it used as a metaphor for like, okay, this is, this is a forbidden woman. She, she's as bitter as wormwood. But a lot of times we see it in Scripture used as a metaphor for God's wrath. Like the prophets used to write about God's wrath and say it's going to be as bitter as wormwood. Uh, it's also used to talk about homelessness, loneliness. Like this is, this is bad. This is bad news is what Solomon is getting at. And listen, y'all, I have seen this firsthand. I, I really have. Like for 99% of people in this room, I'll tell you again because I've seen it. You're at your most vulnerable when you're in a relationship with someone who's not a believer. You're at your most vulnerable. Why? Because love blinds you. Like, I'm telling you, I see it all the time. I see believers who, like, you know, students who I know, man, they're chasing after Jesus with everything they have. And all of a sudden, the forbidden woman or guy comes along, and, and it absolutely blinds you. It, it completely pulls you off course, and it is a danger to you. You are at your most vulnerable when you're dating someone who is not a believer. In the end, it leads to somewhere you don't want to go. But if you get this right, like if you get this right, whereas here it talks about following this path of dating somebody who's outside of the people of God, in the end here, in the end, it leads to bitterness, it leads to destruction. If you can get this right, in the end, it will lead to happiness. It will lead to total satisfaction in marriage. Like, literally, there, this, this is, uh, it might sound weird, but genuinely, this, this is truth. There has never been a divorce between two people who are following Jesus wholeheartedly. 
just hasn't happened. So, so if you can be that person, and then you find that person, then I, I, I think according to God's word, you are setting yourself up for a marriage that's going to succeed. All right? So that's the first thing. What am I looking for when I'm single? I'm looking for somebody who follows Jesus. What's the second thing? What am I looking for on a first date? What am I looking for on a first date? Turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. So the Bible does not really talk about dating. Big surprise. Um, it also doesn't talk about TikTok, and it doesn't talk about Instagram, and it doesn't talk about a lot of things uh, that we experience today, but that doesn't mean it doesn't give us wisdom to navigate it, right? So the Bible doesn't talk about dating, but one thing that it does talk a lot about is marriage. It talks a lot about marriage, and, and if we look at Scripture as a whole, uh, it's clear that marriage is important, that marriage is God's design. You should be in Proverbs chapter 18. Check out uh, verse 22. It says in Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So it's clear that marriage is important, that it is a good thing. It's God's design. And so dating, dating is a two-person tool that, that we've invented, that society has invented. It's been around for like 120 years. And we have invented dating as a two-person tool to move us towards marriage. It's the tool that we, that we have created to help us get there. That's what dating is. And in order to make sure that this two-person tool is used correctly, these two, like two people have to share the same mindset when using it. So what are you looking for on a first date? Like when you finally, you find that person, sparks are flying, you're at a beautiful rest, a beautiful Moonlight dinner at the Crimson Moon. I don't know. Somewhere in Dahlonega. Is that in Dahlonega? I don't know why that just popped into my mind. Yeah, it's in Dahlonega. When you, are, when you are there on that first date, what are you looking for? You're looking for a common mindset. A common mindset. So, first of all, if we're looking for a common mindset, the thing that we have to ask is, do you have the right mindset? Like when it comes to dating, this two-person tool that is used to move you towards marriage, do you have the right mindset? All right, that, that's a first importance, right? Do you have the right mindset? So, so what is the right mindset? Well, we date to determine whether or not someone would be a good fit for marriage. It's a tool that's designed to move you towards marriage. So we date to determine whether or not someone would be a good fit for marriage. We don't date for experience. We don't date for fun. We date to figure out if someone would be a good fit for marriage, which means that if we date, that marriage should at least be on the table for us at some point within the near future, right? Because that makes logical sense. If dating is designed to move you towards marriage and marriage is not on the table for you, then why would you date if you weren't dating for fun or some sort of experience that makes no sense, right? That, that's what dating is. And so we're looking for a common mindset. See, if you insist on dating, but you're not, but you're not ready for marriage. Like, guys, if you are, and I'm, I'm talking to you because you should be the initiator. You should be the leader. If you're looking for a relationship, but marriage is not on the table for you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to at least be honest with her, okay? I want you to at least be honest enough with her to look her in the eyes and go, hey, I would like to date you for as long as I feel like it. 
right? I mean, let's just be honest, right? Because that, that's what you're doing if marriage is not on the table. And then once I no longer feel like it, uh, we can just break up and, and we can call it off. You got to be, if, if dating is a tool that moves you towards marriage, marriage needs to be on the table at some point within the near future, all right? So dating should be a process of evaluation. It, and if that's the case, it should always be going somewhere. If you're in a dating relationship and it's going nowhere, you're probably dating for the wrong reason. Because dating is, again, a two-person tool that should move you towards marriage. Dating should always be going somewhere, whether that's towards marriage or away from it. Away from it's fine too, right? You're figuring out whether or not you would be a good spouse. So, assuming that you have the right mindset about dating, assuming that, that you have the right mindset in your mind, on that first date, you're going, is this other person approaching this thing in the same way that I am? Like, is there a common mindset between the two of us? Does that make sense? That's what you're trying to figure out on the first date. Now, again, I, I think this analogy of a two-person tool is so helpful. When, when I think about a two-person tool, I think about that like the two-person saw thing that you see on the wall in like every Cracker Barrel in the South, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you got handle on one side, blade in the middle, handle on the other side, and two people are pushing and pulling simultaneously. Like listen, with those kinds of tools, I've never used one because I'm like not a pioneer, but it, like I can, I can pretty much see how it works, right? You got to have two people on, like they have to be of the same mindset as to how this thing works. And if they're not, somebody's going to get cut real deep. Like that analogy, right? You're going to get hurt because you don't, you're, you're trying to use a tool that is meant to be used by two people for an unintended purpose. If you're not on the same page, somebody's going to get hurt. So you're looking for a common mindset. So I, I don't want to just move past this and not be practical with it because I, I can feel like, okay, this is, a, this is a good idea and all, but like how? How do I figure out if this person has that mindset? And the, the way that I would suggest it, the way that I would suggest you finding this out, I'm always going to push for clarity in a relationship, right? I, I always want to push for clarity. Like I, I think that we have gotten to a point where we like, for some reason, we like to mystify and complicate dating. Again, it's simply a two-person tool to try to move you towards marriage, but we like to make it a game where, you know, like, we, we try to get things from the other person, like, hey, what's wrong? Oh, nothing, you know, and we do that kind of stuff. And, and, and games, they exist from the very beginning of a relationship all the way through it, but, but I'm always, again, I'm always going to push for clarity, and I think an easy way to push for clarity, we want clarity as to whether or not we have a common mindset about this dating thing. So an easy way to figure that out is to very clearly ask, ask this question. Go, if we decide on a first date, if we decide to keep moving forward with this, like if there's going to be a second date and a third, if we decide to keep moving forward with this, what are your intentions? What are your intentions? Now, that might sound like a big question to ask on a first date. But, again, 
You're looking for a common mindset. You find someone with a common mindset, they should be able to answer that question pretty easily. And listen, if the answer to that question is anything other than, man, I want to, use, I want to see if we would one day become a compatible spouse, like a husband and wife, yeah, I, I think if, you're, if the answer is anything other than that, you need to take a step back and you need to go find somebody else who has a common mindset. That's what you're looking for on that first date. And, and genuinely, I, I, I believe in this, y'all. I know this might sound crazy, it might sound different, but I just think we've gotten dating so wrong. Like, I, I really do. I don't think that, that culture, even the church, has done a good job teaching about it. And so I know this might sound weird and uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, if you can get two people aligned in the same mindset, you will be blown away at what God does through your dating relationship. You'll be blown away. You might say, well, shouldn't I be looking for a bit more on a first date? Like, shouldn't I be looking a little deeper on a first date? Shouldn't I be looking past this common mindset? Well, listen, if you nailed the first question back when you were single of, is this person a believer? Are they following Jesus? Then no. I think the first date is a fine place to look for nothing more than, is this person interested in using this tool of dating in the same way as I am? From there, second date, third date, fourth date, man, keep on going. And we'll talk about what questions to ask then in just a second. But I'm telling you, I think that first date, what you're trying to figure out, does this person have a common mindset when it comes to dating? Now, after the first date, there's, I mean, things can probably progress pretty quickly. And so if dating is a tool that is used to figure out whether or not you would be a good fit uh, as a spouse, then we got to ask this question. What am I looking for once we're dating? Like once we are Facebook official, once the DTR has taken place, I guess Facebook official is not a thing anymore, is it? Huh. Anyways, all right. Uh, what am I looking for once we're dating? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if the purpose of dating is what it should be, like we've been saying, when you're dating, you should from the get-go, right? Like from, once you've established, all right, this person's a believer, we have a common mindset. From that point forward, you should be asking the question, would this person make a great future spouse? Would this person make a great future spouse? And I think that there are lots of Christians who get it right up until this point in their relationship. Like, I think that there's lots of Christians who, who know, like in your head, because you've heard this maybe growing to church or whatever, you know, okay, dating is supposed to be something that's for marriage. There are a lot of Christians that know that. And so up until this point, they get it right. But when, it, when, when we say, okay, dating's for marriage, I'm supposed to be finding that future spouse, their criteria for a future spouse is something that they have come up with in their own brain that does not match what God's word says is good criteria for a future spouse, which is why you get girls that say things like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind a country guy, maybe not too country, um, but a little country, um, it wouldn't be too bad if he played an instrument of some kind, maybe a guitar. Um, if they were, they definitely need to be a dog person, not a cat person, because I can't have cats running around in my house. Um, maybe if if he can cook, but like he doesn't need to dominate the cooking. You know what I mean? Like he just needs to be able to cook when I'm not really feeling it. Um, and and he needs to dress well. Right? Like, he can't just be walking around in Crocs and sweatpants all the time. He needs to dress well. 
He needs to have an income of at least $75,000 a year. Like, that'll really help me get all the Kendra Scott stuff, right? That is how, that's how we see it. There's this long list of criteria, right? And then you got the guys that are like, you know, perfect future spouse. A pulse and a good body. That is what, that is what I'm looking for. But look, if that's you, if that's you, you do not value what God values. You value what the world, what culture, what pornography has taught you to value. Like, like that's the things that you're valuing if you're looking for, for those sorts of things. And so I, I want to land the plane tonight by giving you five things that Scripture identifies that would make a great list of things that you should be looking for in a future spouse. Five things that would make a great list. First Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read in verse 12, and I'll just tell you from the get-go, this is not a dating verse. Uh, this is simply a charge from Paul to Timothy, telling Timothy that he needs to set an example. But uh, the thing about this verse is like, for young people, I can't think of a better verse to give us godly characteristics that we could look for in a spouse. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, these are questions you should be asking while you're dating. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set for the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Five questions. You can kind of see the direction that I'm going with this. Here's the first question. You should be asking this while you're dating to determine whether or not this person would be a good future spouse. The question is this. What do they say? What do they say? Proverbs chapter 18, earlier we read verse 22, but the verse right before that, check out what it says. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The tongue can bring death or life. So let's ask questions like this. Do they gossip? Like maybe some of you have been on a date where the only subject of conversation that the only person wants to talk about is people who are not at the table. Right? Maybe you've been there. Uh, Are they quick to anger? James chapter 1 says that believers should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One of like the number one characteristics that I love about my wife is that she is quick to listen. She's quick to listen, and she's slow to become angry. Are they quick to anger? Are they measured in what they say? Are they measured in what they say? Proverbs chapter 18 verse 13 says, if somebody gives an answer before they listen, before they hear, it's their folly and shame. Are they measured in what they say? Is there a filter? According to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, like like what I read a little bit ago, it says, the tongue can bring death or life. So paying attention to what they say, it's going to give you a little bit of a picture. Because for the rest of your relationship, like if this is the person that you end up marrying for the rest of your life, the words that they speak to you will either give life to you or take life away from you. So right now is a good time to start looking at what they say. Why? Because according to Scripture, the words that come out of your mouth is a picture of what your heart is full of. You want to know somebody on a deep level? Pay attention to what they say. Second question, what do they do? What do they do? What do they say? What do they do? This is where in that verse we we read, 
set for the believers an example in speech, and this is conduct. What do they do? So how do they act? How do they act towards you? How do they act towards other people? Do their actions honor the Lord? Like that's, what, that's the question that, that you should be asking. And let me tell you what you're looking for. You're looking for a pattern, right? Like, yeah, everybody's going to make dumb mistakes in the moment. They might do things, you know, like somebody's rude to a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant. That's not like, let's cut it here. No longer going on a date with you. You're looking for patterns. Why? Because the best predictor of future performance is past performance and present performance. So you use your time dating that person as a time to look for patterns in their conduct, in the way that they live. And you're going do their actions. Do I see a pattern of actions that are honoring the Lord or dishonoring the Lord? What do they do? Here's the third question. What do they love? Set for the believers an example in speech, conduct, and love. What do they love? Do they love the Georgia Bulldogs? I know. Do they love, do they love a hobby like golfing or, or you know, Fantasy football, playing video games. Do they, do they love stuff? Do they love money? Do they love going to the gym? All good things, right? Except the bulldog. Most of those are really good things. And here's the thing. It's okay to love things, but it's not okay to have idols. And you need to be looking deeply into what they love. Jesus needs to be at the forefront of their affections. Well, you might be like, all right, well, how do I know what they love? According to Matthew chapter 6, there's an easy way to figure out what somebody loves. Jesus writes, it's where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where are they investing their resources? Where are they investing their resources? You... It's really easy to hear that word treasure and think money, right? But that's not all that we're talking about here. Where do they invest their time? Where, where do they invest the skills that they have, like their talents? Where do they invest the, the thing, like the gifts that God has given them? And then, yeah, where do they invest their money, their finances, their treasures? That gives you a picture into the things that they love. So ask questions like this. Where are they investing their resources? Are they serving in church? Are they serving in kids' ministry? Are they serving in uh, student ministry in some sort of first impression? Like, are they, are they serving in church? Are they going on mission trips? Are they spending time in community? Are they reading God's word? Or they, do they say things like, no, I, I can't serve at church because I can't get up that early because I've got more important things to do. I've got to get home and work on homework or I, whatever it is. This is a great rule of thumb. If your relationship causes you to be less involved in church than you were before you started dating, that's a red flag and you need to get out of it. You need to get out of it. I mean, it is a serious red flag because if your relationship causes you to be less involved in church than you were beforehand, it's basically someone telling the other person that they love you more than they love God. And I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to be the person that stands in between uh, someone and their relationship with their heavenly father. That's just not a position that I want to be in. So find you someone that will prioritize their relationship with the Lord and getting in church before they prioritize you. And I promise you, you will thank me later. Let's keep on going though. Do, do they, uh, what do they 
or what do they say? What do they do? What do they love? And then what do they believe? What do they believe? We said, uh, set for the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, and faith. What do they believe? Here's what, here's what we're asking here. You should be watching their faith over a period of time. Like their relationship with the Lord. You should be watching their faith over a period of time. And you should be observing over a period of time. Are they growing in their relationship with the Lord? Or are they stagnant in their relationship with the Lord? Like, like, are they growing closer to Jesus over the course of time that you're dating? Or are they getting further away from Jesus because they're spending so much time with you? What's going on there? What's going on in, in your relationship with Jesus? Like, does spending time around this person cause you to grow closer to Jesus? Or does it cause you to grow further away from Jesus? What do they, uh, what do they believe? Watch their faith. Final question. Set for the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and finally, in purity. And here's the final question. What are they feeding their heart? What are they feeding their heart? One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And that verse says, above all else, uh, above all else, like anything else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. It's an incredible verse. I think we exist in, in today's culture in this lie. And this lie says that your heart wants whatever your heart wants, right? Like who can blame it? Your heart's just going to want whatever your heart wants. And I would say that that is such a lie from the enemy. I don't think that, uh, that the, the truth is that your heart wants what your heart wants. I think the truth is, according to this verse, that your heart wants what your heart is fed. So what are you feeding your heart? Because you're, when, when you feed your heart something, it's going to naturally develop an appetite for that thing. So what are you feeding your heart? What is that person you're dating feeding their heart when it comes to relationship? Do they have their heart on a steady diet of social media? Because if, if, if so, they're feeding their heart with comparison. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're feeding their heart all the time with comparison if one day you're not enough for them. Because they're comparing their relationship with you to another person's relationship with somebody else. And then they decide that all of a sudden they'd rather have somebody that's not you. What are they feeding their heart with? Is, is it social media? Is it porn? Are, are they feeding their heart with porn? Because if so, what they're really doing is they're feeding their heart with variety. Right? That's what porn is. It, it's addiction to variety. Are they feeding their heart with variety? If so... Don't be surprised if one, you know, if you were to, to, to marry that person, don't be surprised if one day they go and look for variety somewhere outside of you by hooking up with, with someone else. And, and I'll tell you this, we're, again, we're asking this question, what are they feeding their heart? Because according to this verse, we're supposed to set an example in purity. So, so here's the thing, when it, when it comes to purity, they're not committed to purity if they're pushing physical boundaries with you. Like they're just not. They're not committed to uh, their relationship with the Lord. They're not committed to your relationship with the Lord. They are not committed to purity. If, they're willing, if you are dating someone who is willing to sin sexually with you, they are communicating a very clear message to you. They're saying, listen, right now I am willing to go outside of the covenant of marriage for sexual satisfaction. So why then, 
If that's the message they're communicating to you, why then, if you were to get married to this person, why should you expect them to not be willing to go outside of the covenant of marriage then? That makes sense? That's pretty fair. They're, they're communicating to you that they're willing to go outside of the covenant of marriage now. Why would they not be willing to go out of it later if you marry that person and, and go find someone else, right? What do they say? What do they do? What do they love? What do they believe? And what are they feeding their heart? Such important questions, y'all. The things that we should be looking for, that you should be looking for in a future spouse do not need to come from your brain. The things that you think would be compatible with you, the things that you think would like just make a good match, they need to come from God's word. Where truth is ultimately found, I'm telling you, this book will not steer you wrong. So I, I want to I land the plane, and I'll invite the band back out. Here's why all these things matter so much. These five questions that we just asked, the questions uh, before and uh, when you're single, when you're on a first date, here's why all this stuff matters so much. Because marriage is a magnifying glass. Marriage is a magnifying glass. A lot of people think, you know, dating, it's, it's difficult, it's messy. And a lot of people think that, that marriage is going to be the thing that alleviates all of their problems. But marriage does not alleviate problems, it amplifies them. And so if you are seeing some, some red flags in your, in, in your relationships now, some things that don't line up with the Word of God now, I, I'm telling you, marriage is not going to alleviate that problem, it's going to amplify it. Like if you see that he's addicted to porn now and like, you know, maybe that, that's something that makes you a little uncomfortable. But man, once we're married, we have that tie. I'm telling you, it doesn't alleviate it, it's going to amplify it. And that is across the board with any of these red flags that you see. Marriage amplifies. And so it's so important for us to use dating for its intended purpose. Not to use it for fun, not to use it for experience, but so that you can set yourself up for a successful marriage. I've been, I've been as I've been preparing to, to talk to you guys about dating tonight, one of my favorite things to talk to college students about, because like, I'm now on the other side of dating. I'm married, and, and I find myself, both Aaliyah and I, like we find ourselves constantly looking back to the time that we dated going, I, we wish we could have done this better. Like There are so many things that we wish we could take back, so many things that we wish that we would have done differently. And, and like all I can do, you know, I was that kid that, stood, or that sat in my youth group uh, under the teaching of my youth pastor, him telling us you know, all these different things about dating. I'm like, yeah, whatever, bro. And I did not care a thing about it. But, but y'all, all I can do is just try to be that guy for you and pray that you will listen. I'm telling you, now being on the other side of dating, like now, now entering into marriage, I look back at my time dating and I go like, that was, it. I don't want to use the word meaningless, but it, it so lacks in comparison to what I'm like, what I'm experiencing now. And, and I don't mean like marriage versus dating. Obviously marriage is way more fun, but what I mean is that I'm now in marriage 
And like, there's no like questions about like, man, what's the next year going to look like? Like we're thinking like 60, 70 years down the road, Lord willing, like we're in this thing for the long haul. Like we're thinking we're, we're, this is just so much a bigger picture than these four years that I had as a college student. So, so like if I could go back or if I could just impart anything to all of you who are in those four years, use them to set up the 70 years that are coming up for you. Use these four years that you have now to set this upcoming season of your life up well. Because 70 years is a whole lot longer than this time that you're going to spend at University of North Georgia, Truett McConnell, whatever colleges we have represented here in the room. I'm telling you, I just think a lot about it now. And I so desire for y'all to date well and to experience a flourishing and successful marriage. I so do. That's my, my prayer, my heart for each and every one of you. However, the, the common denominator of all of this, if you look across the board, of everything that we've talked about from, from the start of tonight is this. The key to getting relationships right is to get the most important relationship right. Like, if you pay attention, if you go back to the very beginning, like, nothing fits if that most important relationship, your relationship with Jesus, is not uh, secure. If, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to get any of this right. And so the key to getting relationships right is to get your most important relationship right, and that's your relationship with Jesus. And so tonight, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you have a heavenly father that loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins that you owe. And because he did that, because Jesus went to the cross, defeated death, was raised to life, we now have the ability to accept his free gift of salvation and and the ability to spend eternity with him forever and ever in a place called heaven and and. On top of that, get to experience incredible purpose and meaning for your life now. Without that, I mean, no wonder dating looks the way that it does in our, in our culture because they're dating without a purpose. You get this relationship right, it gives purpose to everything. And all of a sudden, you're not walking through these four years with, with no sort of a, of a plan, just, you know, whatever happens, happens. But you're, you're setting yourself up to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus than, than, than I think you could have ever imagined. So let me pray for us. We're going to worship together. If you've never made that decision to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to be standing down front after the service. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to, to talk you through what that looks like. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And Lord, we're so grateful for this gift of, of marriage, this gift of dating, Uh, Father, I pray that these young people would do this well, that they would do it in a way that honors you. And I pray that the ones in here who, who are already doing that, who are already dating in such a way that it honors you, Lord, I pray that they would be an example to others, that they wouldn't be quiet about it, but that they would be vocal about how much dating the right way how, how much it changes things, how, how it, it sets them on a path that is enjoyable, that is, is not difficult, um, but Lord, that honors you with everything that they do. I, I pray that, that those that are already doing this would set an example. And I pray that for those who aren't, God, that you would convict, that you would stir hearts, Holy Spirit, that you would move, 
And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would make that decision tonight. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.